mud, sand, water, straw. Faster, faster, mud and lift, sand and pull, water and raise up, straw. Faster, faster, faster. With the sting of the whip on my shoulder, with the salt of my sweat on my brow. Elohim, God on and high, can't you hear the people cry? Help us now in this dark hour. Deliver us, hear our call, deliver us. Lord of all, remember us here in this burning sand. Deliver us, there's a land you promised us. Deliver us to the promised land. Deliver us to the promised land. There the songs, the lyrics of a song written by Ofra Haza and Eden Regal. But they're also what I hear from the people of God. As this song is interpreted, I hear the cry, deliver us, deliver us. And it is the topic I wish to address today. Deliverance is an interesting topic. It's mentioned many times in the Bible. There's no question that God is in the business of deliverance from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from one book to another. Deliver us. Deliver us. The message of deliverance is embedded, be it through people that God is using to bring about delivery, or be it through God himself who is ushering a time of deliverance. Deliver us. Deliver us. Deliver us also embodies a sentiment. It's not a thing that, that just is, is left on its own. It's like it carries an emotion. It's sort of like, this just can't be it. There's got to be more. You promised something different. It's like having your eyes on something else, on something greater. So the cry of deliver us from evil, deliver us from darkness, deliver us from famine, deliver us from oppression, deliver us from Pharaoh, deliver us, set your people free. It wasn't just a plea of helplessness. It was also a cry of hopefulness. Surely there's more, God. I mean, I can feel it deep down inside of me. It's your promise. We are your children. Deliver us. 
I don't know how many times you may have found yourself in a similar predicament where all you could do is say, God, what is going on? Would you deliver us? A little over a year ago, my mom went to be with Jesus. She had Alzheimer's for many, many years. There's one thing that I really, really wanted to avoid. That was my mother dying in a nursing home. I'm sorry, that was my mom dying in the hospital. I really wanted my mom to die in the nursing home. Now, you've got to understand this nursing home did not offer good care to my mom. The surroundings were not good. But the space that we had created there, it was her space. It was like her little house, her own sacredness. Her huge Bible was there, many pictures and Bible verses. And there just seemed to be this little nook within this facility that seemed to all of us as holy ground. And I wanted her to die in a surrounding that was familiar with her, that represented who we were as a family. And even though this place may not have been the best I felt that sending her to the hospital was going to be even worse. And so I prayed. I prayed long and hard for many, many days and week. Please deliver us. Do not allow her to lie anywhere else but in this space that we've created. Possibly there is something in your life that you've also been asking God to deliver you from. Possibly there's things in your life that you have experienced the deliverance of, of God. In this particular passage of Exodus 13, it starts off with when the king sent the people out of Egypt, when Pharaoh let the people go, this assumption that they had been there within this space, within this location for quite some time, and now they were being released from this place. What could have possibly happened to bring the people of Israel to the point in time where they're crying and asking God, deliver us, deliver us from this space. This let them go out of Egypt requires an explanation for me. Why were they even in Egypt? And how did they end up there? Well, the story, I'll trace it back to Joseph, and you'll remember Joseph with the coat of many colors. He also was that one guy who decided he was going to share with his siblings his dreams of how his older brothers were going to bow down to him, and that did not go well. You may not want to try that at home. His brothers were so ticked off at him that they sold him into slavery. And so it's interesting, the story of Joseph, because it's an up and down and a roller coaster ride, because he goes from being in a cistern and a well to the palace to becoming Potiphar's captain of the guards. And from there, he is incarcerated, ends up in jail, accused falsely. But from jail, he ends up in the palace, becoming one of Pharaoh's right-hand persons, made ruler of Egypt and in charge of all the land. 
So he ends up in Pharaoh's court because he's able to interpret these dreams. And though his life has been an up and down, very similar to mine and perhaps some like yours, he experiences this wave where he is able to be within the court of Pharaoh and he is receiving this power and the authority because there's an anointing upon him to translate dreams and these dreams of Pharaoh come true. Joseph's family is in Canaan. From Canaan to Egypt, it's, it's not a short trip. There's some distance in between them. But they heard that in Egypt, there was grain because famine has crossed all over the land. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, heard back in Canaan that there was grain in Egypt. And so he sends his sons, go over. If we're going to live and spare the lives of our family, we must get food and there's only one place that has it. So they travel the distance and they buy the grains and you know how that story unfolds. It goes on to tell how Jacob and all of his brothers are reunited. And Pharaoh is so pleased with the work that Joseph has done that Pharaoh tells Joseph, you pick the land. Give them the land, bring them all over. They can live right here in our space. And they make a home for themselves in the land of Goshen, which was a place that was fertile. And they were shepherds and they herded cattle and animals. And so Pharaoh tells them, take care of my land. Thrive here, prosper, multiply, provide for my land. And so they do. So during this time, Joseph, Jacob, all of his siblings, every one of their generations continue to grow and thrive and do so with the blessing of Pharaoh. However, Joseph dies. Pharaoh's gone. There's a new ruler in town. And Exodus 1, 8 through 14 tells us that a new king began to rule Egypt who did not know who Joseph was. Are you kidding me? Everything that Joseph had poured in, all the work that the people had done, and they forgot his story? The king said to his people, look, the people of Israel... They're too many and too strong for us to handle. If we don't make plans against them, the number of their people will grow even more. Then if there is a war, they might join our enemies and fight us and escape from the country. So the Egyptians made life hard for the Israelites. They put slave masters over them who forced the Israelites to build cities and supply centers for the king. But the harder the Egyptians worked, the more they were forced, they forced the Israelites to work. The more the Israelites grew in number and they spread out. So the harder the Egyptians forced the Israelites to work, the more the Israelites grew in number and spread out. So the Egyptians became very afraid of them and demanded even more of them. They made their lives bitter 
They forced the Israelites to work hard, to make bricks and mortar, and to do all kinds of work in the fields. The Egyptians were not merciful to them in all their painful work. By the way, I read that literally directly from Scripture. So mud, sand, water, straw, faster, whip, faster, faster. This was now their new reality. The oppression grew stronger and stronger for the people of God. They find themselves now enslaved in a land they worked to help thrive, a property they practically owned but is no longer their home. It is a story of a people forgotten, customs that have changed, worship that is no longer their own. They must even hide every single baby that is born a male because Pharaoh will kill them, hence the story of Moses. Of course, mud, water, sand, straw, faster, faster, weighs on them, weighs them down. Exodus 3, 7 says that God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush and tells him, I have heard. There's something about knowing that God hears our cry. I have heard the cries of my people who suffer in Egypt. Over and over, they cried out to God for deliverance. And finally, finally, the moment is right. Here, right in this passage, the deliverance. The passage says that when the king sent out the people of Egypt, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Though that was the shortest way. God said if they have to fight, they might change their minds and go back to Egypt. Say what? Were they not crying out to God to deliver them from Egypt? It says, so God led them through the desert, through the Red Sea, and the Israelites were dressed for fighting when they left the land of Egypt. I've got to tell you, I wrestle with this passage. I, I kind of feel it's out of place that it doesn't make sense to the rest of the story because I've envisioned this redemption story of what needs to happen right now. God's response to deliver us is about to happen. It takes place right now. The king has sent the people out of Egypt and God leads them through the longest route. So this is my take on what I think is going on in this passage. The truth is that they were crying out to God to deliver them. And I believe that sometimes God delivers us from our circumstances as he did with them. The Israelites were asking God to deliver them from Egypt, from the hand, the oppressive hand of Egypt. They were slaves. They were in need of deliverance. 
They were being held captive in this land they couldn't call their home. They were in need of deliverance. They were asking to be delivered from the ill treatment of the Egyptians who were abusing and misusing their power and stronghold over the Israelites for the sake of fear and self-preservation, afraid of what would happen if they did not. They were in need of deliverance. They were being accused of things that they did not do and called names and mistreated. Enough is enough. How long, oh Lord, how much longer? Can you relate? Is there anything in your life that perhaps you have experienced that would also position you in that same place where you're like, how much longer, God? How much longer do we have to deal with COVID? How much longer do we have to deal with these issues that are, we're experiencing in our lives? Enough is enough. Oh, yes. Have you ever been through an experience in life where it's just felt like you were walking through the valley of the shadow of the dead? You bet your bottom dollar they were asking God to deliver them. And God. God sets God's self to do exactly that. In Exodus 3.16, he tells Moses, go, assemble, bring all the elders together. Bring all the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The Lord appeared to me and said, I have watched over you. And have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. And to that I say, amen. Now you're talking, God. Bring on the land flowing with milk and honey. God's response is to deliver them exactly from what they have asked, from the circumstances that surround them, from what is happening to them in the land of Egypt. Sometimes God will deliver us from our circumstances. But sometimes it doesn't happen the way we thought it would. And the way that God brings about this deliverance in this passage messes with my head because it is not exactly the way that I had anticipated that it would happen. God not leading them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shortest way, well, it doesn't seem right to me. And so, fam, sometimes God delivers us from our circumstances, but sometimes God delivers us from ourselves or from what we think needs to happen or from even our unknowns. I shared about my mom struggling with Alzheimer's. I wish I could just uh, bring the story to a quick close, but I was in Marion, Indiana, my mom was in Florida. She was in that nursing home, and her moments were coming to an end. And her pressure dropped so much that they needed to take her to the hospital. And I cried and screamed, and I was furious. 
And when I get like this, so I'm a New York Rican, I start talking in Spanish and it's really fast. He goes, Señor, por favor, ten misericordia de nosotros, ten piedad de nuestra vida. And I can go on and on and on really, 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 really fast. And I am in the anguish of this moment, crying out to God and saying, please, God, not in the hospital. But circumstances beyond me meant that she ended up in emergency room in this cold, clammy, dark, ugly, messy kind of room. That's what I envisioned. I told God, please don't let my mom die there. Please. She's been faithful to you. She served you. She's a missionary. All I'm asking you is to let her die with dignity. Please, dignity. I received a phone call from the hospital. My sister was with my mom by her bedside. And I received a phone call from the hospital. It was a nurse. Kind, gentle, full of love. And I was put on speaker so that I could be there, given the distance. And I remember hearing nurses just coming in and out. And as every nurse, God bless them, would walk in, they would say prayers. And my sister told me they're holding hands. They were praying for my mom. They were praying for us. They were praying for discernment from the doctor. And I heard the voice of the doctor begin to pray for my mom and invite God's peace into that space. And this ugly, cold, clammy, and dark space that I had envisioned became a sacred space of God where the presence of God filled that room and God extended a dignity to my mother that I could have never, ever imagined. And when she transitioned, she transitioned with the peace of God upon us in a beautiful way that I will live on to share with generations to come. Fam, God knew what I did not know. God loved me enough, loved my mother enough to not grant the deliverance that I had hoped for and prayed. And those were my words, God deliver us from this. Because sometimes God delivers us from the circumstances and we make it through. But sometimes God has to deliver us from self, from us. Sometimes I need to have a come to Jesus with me, myself and I. A realization that God knows what I may not know. A realization that there are things that are within our world that belong only to the knowledge of God. And Lord knows that would he trust me with some of these things that I risk failing him. Fam, God knew. God knew the Israelites could not make it through the short road. Scripture tells us that if they would have gone that route and they would have faced war, God sensed that they would turn around turn around and go back to the very same thing they pleaded for deliverance of. 
حساس speak for myself as me the passage says that they were in formation fully dressed ready for the battle but they had no fight in them God loved them enough to spare them of what would come. God loved them enough to take them the scenic route. And we know this because in Exodus 14:10, the longer but easier route. Scripture tells us that when the Israelites saw Pharaoh and the army coming after them, they were afraid. The Red Sea on one side and the enemy on the other. Oh, yeah. What was their response? They say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? <laughs> What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. The people of God expected the deliverance in a totally different way, but God knew better. It's actually not until they get to the Red Sea and the waters part, they're like, oh, this is a good plan. This is much better than what we had in mind. Fam, sometimes God delivers us from, from our circumstances. Sometimes God has to deliver us from ourselves, from our inward thinking, our insecurities, our lack of confidence, our blindness, our narrow-mindedness, pride, biases. Sometimes we just can't see it. We don't have eyes to see. We sang it. We sing it. We try to live it, but we just don't have it our inability to fully understand what we don't know and what God knows, and that limits us. Sometimes it's because we've been through the valley of the shadow of death, and God knows the trauma and the difficulties that we have faced. We know that there's voices in our heads that we struggle. I can do this. I cannot. I can make it. I cannot. God knew the struggle of the people of Israel. They were getting whipped. They were being displaced. They were being spoken negatively about and being judged and killed for reasons that were not credited to anything they would have done. God knew the trauma they were carrying. God knew the oppression they had been experiencing. Sometimes God needs to love us enough in spite of ourselves to do what God knows best. I seriously don't know where you're at this morning. Perhaps you've experienced some kind of great deliverance in your life recently, right now, that you can celebrate, and you should. 
Because had it not been for Jesus and the things that he had done, where would we be? It is because God delivers us that we profess, that we have faith, that we have hope. And so it's possible that you've witnessed deliverance from the snare of the fowler and of the dark forces of evil where you've experienced the deliverance of others, their deliverance of death, of fear, of addiction, of COVID. Some of us, we weren't supposed to make it, but we did. God deliver us from the circumstances surrounding us. God delivered us from ourselves. But I can't be that kind of preacher that just kind of leaves that hanging. And I've got to be honest. While I know that sometimes he delivers us from our circumstances and from ourselves, and sometimes it just kind of feels like God does not deliver us. Like deliverance never comes. I mean, God didn't deliver Jesus while he was in the desert being tempted by Satan. I mean, deliverance may have come in another form at another time, but it did not come then. He had to go through that valley of shadow of death and resist the temptation. And he didn't deliver Jesus in the garden while he prayed, pass this cup from me, men. Fam, the cup was not passed. He had to drink from the cup, which led to the cross, place of death. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free. But he didn't. You know what he said? My God. My God. Why? Why have you forsaken me? My God. There's circumstances that may be happening in our lives, things happening within ourselves that can leave us to this moment and within this range of reality that we just don't know. And maybe like me, you have cried out to God, deliver me, deliver us. But instead, we've experienced death of a loved one to COVID, to other illnesses, to other things in this journey. And we've seen the increase of mental illness due to social distancing and churches have closed and people have been trapped in unhealthy relationships and all these kind of stuff. Mi hermano, mi hermana, my brother, my sister, what is your response when it feels like God is not going to deliver? Let's be honest. My human tendency is one to be frustrated, angry. Sometimes I get my feelings hurt by God. And I can't help but ask, what happened? Why is this happening to me? If you're there, you must hear me loud and clear. God can handle your frustration, your anger, your hatred, your pain. This is a no judgment zone. I've been there, I've done that, and more often than not, 
It's still my starting point. But I have learned that in the midst of all of that, that the absence of deliverance does not equate to the absence of God. I know that I know that I know that I know that God has promised not to leave me or forsake me. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I have made the choice to hold on. I've learned that an individualistic mindset loses, loses sight of the big picture and that our story is just one sliver of a broader overarching story and it's awesome that I get to be a part of it until I'm not. So I know that I am a part of a bigger story and that this little sliver of mine, that my contribution to it is just one part that sometimes does not occupy the main role. And I'm humbled by it. So I know I must keep my eyes focused on the higher prize of the calling because it's so easy for me to lose the focus. And I look to my cousin, the cuz, Apostle Paul. He's my cousin. We relate. Because he wrestled with a thorn in his flesh that God could not remove. And I too am reminded constantly, is this grace sufficient for me? Is his grace sufficient for you? Thomas Merton says, the real hope is not in something we think we can do, but in God who is making something good out of it in some way we cannot see. Fam, prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I struggle with this stuff. And in a moment of transparency, I want you to know that I am actually in a season where I too am saying, God, deliver us. Deliver me. It's been a hard season. Non-stop crying and pleading, God, would you please just hear my cry? Enough is enough. Just deliver us. During the past two weeks alone, we said our forever goodbyes to our boxer dog, Kalua Faith. It was hard. Very dear, close family friends, all of their family, seven members just struggling for their lives with COVID. And that's hard. Just last night, I got a call from a childhood friend who was sharing about her best friend who died of COVID, a missionary in Honduras. My husband and my family and I were in Florida celebrating my father-in-law's 80th birthday, which was precious. In the midst of that joy, we had to extend our trip because someone very close to the family that we've done church planning work with before, their 23-year-old son died. It's tough. If I was the only person experiencing this kind of heaviness and weightiness, right? Then you could all just surround me and kind of come around me 
and lift up our arms, but I know there's so many of you out there here in this congregation right now in this building and listening to me online. It's just been tough. It's just too heavy. It's too hard. God, deliver us. How can we not cry out? We must. I must also share in this sacred space as your sister of Christ, and I emphasize sister because that's who I am. We're family. You may not know my name and you may have never seen my face before, but the fact that we worship the same living God makes us family. And I share as a sister of Christ this very intimate and vulnerable part of myself that I will share because you need to hear it from your sister. It is almost impossible for me to engage with this passage and this topic. I would have preferred to leave it aside and just move on to a passage that was just easier for me. Call me selfish. But it's hard for me to engage. I cannot read this passage as anyone else. As a Latina sister who reads about the oppression in this scripture, and it, it is part of my norm and reality. I am a Hispanic woman. I am married to a white man. I have four biracial kids. There is not a day, not a day that goes by that I don't wake up praying God, protect my children. Build a hedge of protection around my children. Protect them. Let people see you in them. Protect them from the oppression. Protect them from the rejection. Protect them, God. Deliver us from this. Every meeting that I go into, I pause before I go into that meeting to pray. I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would be able to embrace my presence and value my contribution as a sister of color. I automatically ask God to remove anything that is tokenizing. I pray for my hermanos and my hermanas in the faith that they would see and celebrate the perspectives and what I bring to the table including this very personal space. I have prayed for you that you would hear my heart, that you would hear my story, that you would take the time to embrace what I could possibly contribute and add value into your lives. As a person of color, I can't strip myself. My theology, this is God's creation. This is who I am. And I won't strip myself. To do so would be to deny what I believe as part of God's theology of creation. I am a Latina. I am a woman. I am a woman of God. I am a Latina of faith. I am a person that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit to bridge the distances and the gaps and the things that may separate us. So when I talk about 
the lives of black people mattering. I pray that you would hear, how can I not? And that you would hear it in such a way that I am not minimizing the value of anyone else's life. And when I share about immigrants and advocate for them and for those in immigrant detention centers, it is because I know names and I know stories and that it is a part of my own journey that I bring to the table and that I can value life from conception all the way to its death. In case you haven't noticed, familia, I am physically tired. I'm emotionally and mentally exhausted. It's true. But my spirit, not my spirit, my spirit's not tired. My spirit's not lost. Emotionally, physically, yes. But my spirit is alive and well because I fixed my eyes upon the cross. I have fixed my eyes upon the hope. It is a cry of helplessness, full of hopefulness, knowing that though I wander through the desert, though we may wander through the desert, that the person who is leading the way is God Almighty and that we have a hope. I hold on to that because you and I together can rise up as the church and be the powerful force that breaks the chains of darkness, that destroys the anonymity, that puts us back into a place of oneness, not in our perspective, but according to the oneness of our Lord Jesus Christ, where every tribe, every tongue, every nation, woman and men from all economic backgrounds, the establishing of the kingdom of heaven here on earth is what we have been anointed to bring to fruition. My spirit is full of hope. My spirit stands strong when my body cannot contain it because I know who I have believed in and enough faith I have for you and for me. This is my story. It's not yours. I'm only letting you into my personal space. I only want you to know what are some of my deliver us cries. What's yours? What is yours? What is your plea before God? What is happening in your life that you're saying, God, deliver us? Deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, God. Maybe God will change the circumstances around me because sometimes God does. I assure you, God's working and changing me. Despite myself. Because sometimes that's what God does. We hurt in my heart, I gotta tell you that. I don't know if I will live to see the deliverance of what I'm praying for. I don't. 
choose to put my trust upon him. I don't know if you'll see the deliverance of whatever ailment you may be praying for, of whatever family dysfunction you may be praying for, of whatever is happening around those loved ones of yours regarding COVID or Alzheimer's or any other kind of situation you may be facing. But there is a God that delivers There is a God that delivers and in him we trust to make a way when there's no way. What else can I hold on to? Will you tell me? What else? Nothing else fills the void. There is a God who makes the crooked paths straight. And I will follow him. And I will follow you. As my brothers and my sisters, we will follow together to be the church that God has called us to be, to be delivered and to usher in by the Spirit of God, the deliverance that comes from God until every Every person hears the word of God and has the chance to be transformed. Deliver us, God. Deliver us, God. Deliver us, God, to the promised land. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.